Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. This is a health and nutritional show about you. So what I try to do during each and every episode of Ask the Blood Detective is to give you what I consider some blood detective common uh, sense advice, which means when I say certain things regarding different aspects of your health and nutrition and and cutting-edge findings, I say them in such a way that you should not simply agree with me because it sounds good, but you'll understand why it's better. That's the blood detective common sense. Once again, so you don't have to simply take what I say as truth, but we'll go through the reasoning so that you can make better healthcare choices as you move forward. If you have an improved base of knowledge in any aspect of life, as you know, whenever you're exposed to new information, you can superimpose that upon what you know to make judgments, correct? Of course. So that's what we'll do during this particularly interesting show uh, of Ask the Blood Detective. It's one of my favorite topics, actually, and I call it healthy diet dangers. Healthy diet dangers, if that sounds like a contradiction in terms, well, it definitely is because healthy implies that there's some health benefits to the diet. It implies that if you follow the diet to to the letter, or at least very close to it, then you should benefit from whatever the diet's claims are. So I'm going to use the word diet as opposed to food intake just for simplicity throughout today's show. And this is probably a show that you're going to want to listen to a couple of times because it's loaded with information. It's extremely practical. I mean, I mean, it is obviously because the diet, as the old adage says, is the, the most important thing that you can do for your health. Well, I'll have to tell you this. It's my opinion that the diet is an extremely important thing that you must do for your health. But is it the most important? Well, you have to eat. So fundamentally, from that perspective, diet is fundamental. But diet does not always correct every health problem or help you prevent every health problem or even help you offset the eventuality of specific health problems. It does carry the potential, different diets, different food intakes carry certain health potentials. But then depending on your genetics, how well you follow the diet, your external environment, your internal environment, like your stress, for example, and many, many other factors, medications, the genetics, the list goes on and on. A, the effect of a particular diet on your health will vary and will also vary, by the way, from time to time. So what I'm doing right now is simply reviewing some fundamental concepts about dieting and food intake in general. And then I'm going to get into the specifics of about 10 different popular diets. Some of those food plans, I'll let you know what they are right now. Number one, we're going to talk about the SAD or standard American diet and what is healthier or unhealthy about that. We'll talk about the the paleo diet, a ridiculous concept, the ketogenic diet, gluten-free, plant-based diet, vegan. We'll talk about food combining. We'll speak about the Mediterranean diet, the pH balancing approach, the low glycemic approach, and a few others. So I promise you that you have never heard a radio show this comprehensive in covering different food plans with reliable scientific scrutiny. 
So I am interested as the self-prescribed blood detective to give accurate information, which means the information that I'm letting you know is based on what is called an evidence base. An evidence base is a term used in medicine and in the more strictly scientific nutritional arenas to to basically describe how there is a either a weak or a moderate or a strong or a very strong amount of scientific evidence to support concepts. I won't have the time during each show to during this show to tell you what particular strength the evidence is for each diet, but I will leave you with all the practical uh, knowledge that will help you recognize what food plan may be best for you, or better yet, what I suspect after you hear the show is that you realize that you might need something very specific, or you might need a combination of different uh, food or dietary plans. So when we're dealing with diet and food intake, one of the things I've said uh, during my prior shows is that you are not what you eat. And I'll say it yet again, you are not what you eat, you are what you absorb from what you eat. And furthermore, you are what your body activates from what you eat. So you eat foods, it's either absorbed or not to various extents in your small intestine. The small intestine is the major site of absorption. Water is absorbed in the colon and stomach acid in the stomach is required to cleave or break certain nutrients off from foods so that they can be absorbed lower down in the intestinal tract like the small intestine. For example, vitamin B12 needs to be detached or cleaved from proteins, let's say in meat, and that happens in the stomach. And then a chemical called intrinsic factor binds to B12 and in the stomach and then delivers that B12 uh, to the small intestine for ultimate absorption. The, the reason why I'm mentioning this and giving you just a little bit of detail there about how nutrients are broken down and where they're generally absorbed and activated is because that attachment of intrinsic factor, that chemical I just mentioned to B12, that helps its activation. And then when that B12 makes its way ultimately to the liver, it's fully activated for use and stored as our needs uh, change and our uh, basic needs uh, of the day so the body can extract nutrition from the liver. So there is the concept of you are not what you eat, but what you absorb and what you activate. Why do you need to know this if this is a show about foods and diets? Well, if this is true, what I'm saying, this is the first bit of blood detective common sense, right? That you're supposed to just kind of get after I say this because it just makes so much sense you can't deny it. Any diet on paper that says you should eat 40 grams of carbs and 30 grams of proteins and whatever, or that you should eat a ketogenic way or a paleo way or a gluten-free way, what you're eating is affected to various extents by how you absorb and how you activate. So your diets are not providing you what on paper you're getting necessarily, or it'll be some variation of that, right? Does that make sense? Well, it should make sense. And if it doesn't make sense to some of you, I want you to please post your comments on my blog. The website is www.integratednutritionny.com. You can call me with your questions at 914 
552-1442. Some of you might want to schedule with me to work with you personally, and you can call that number again, 914-552-1442. Some of you are very surprised when I pick up the phone. I work with each of my patients. I do not shuttle you off to anyone else. I feel if you want a job done, you need to do it yourself. Now, so get me those questions. Get me those show concepts. Today's show concept was really pushed by a lot of you out there in the audience. You wanted to get the facts straight regarding dietary intake. So we've established that if our absorption is, is different, we need to account for that when we eat a certain diet. Even if you have determined that the best diet for you, let's just say, for example, is the paleo diet. But what if you malabsorb the protein component of that paleo diet and you need protein to heal your immune system? or to put on lean body mass, which reduces inflammation. You see, the diet alone is not the thing. And yes, I will say here from the onset that I do believe that regardless of whatever diet you consume or variation of that diet or combinations of things, in other words, how you eat throughout your lifespan, I believe that nutritional supplements are a fundamental part and a fundamental complement of every single diet. You can listen to my other show called Diet Versus Supplements or go to my blog and listen to it there or search my website on its, the homepage and just put in diets or put in a pH diet or whatever specifics you want to hear and you'll get a lot of written information on these, on these concepts. And as you heal and as you age over the course of your life, your food needs will change. Even traditional medicine recognizes, for example, that during pregnancy and as pregnancy progresses, one's iron needs may increase, one's protein needs certainly increase. We know that athletes, for example, or people with cancer have higher protein requirements, generally speaking. And I'm, I'm simplifying here, but this is, these are true concepts. As a person ages, they're malabsorbing, their bodies break down. As the body breaks down, it, by definition, becomes unlike its healthy self prior to when it was breaking down. And then the body's immune system starts attacking itself so that aging is actually an autoimmune disease. Auto referring to automatic and self. Autoimmune means the body's attacking itself. The only way to help halt, slow, or potentially reverse that process in some way is to enhance the nutritional healing of the tissues to an extent that they exceed the degeneration of the tissues. So since we are talking about diets because on some level we must be concerned about our health, otherwise we would not be thinking about diets, we need to keep in mind why we want to eat a certain way. And we have to know, we just must know as your own personal blood detective, is it working? So that brings me to two other basic concepts. Number one, just because you seem to feel better by eating a certain way for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, even even a couple of months, that does not mean that it's working. Many people will change their diets from something other than what they're eating now, and they'll lose weight simply because they changed their chemistry in some way. They may not continue to lose the weight, but the studies have also shown this. Even putting a person on a high-fat diet from a regular Western diet can actually help them lose weight because they lose lean body mass, which is much heavier than fat. I'm not prescribing that people uh, eat a high-fat diet or any of these diets. The information that I'm presenting here is for your education. It's for your education only. 
And if you have a chronic health problem or health goal, you should have the assistance of a trained uh, certified nutritional specialist, that's a CNS, or a dietitian that has uh, advanced training because as a dietitian, I can tell you, this is my opinion, the basic education is, well, basic and completely inadequate. Remember, dietitians are those that design the diets you make fun of in hospitals. So um, I'm just being frank here. Uh, the blood detective shows are not about uh, sugarcoating things, uh, uh, no pun intended. They are about the truth. So let's talk about now the whole concept of we mentioned that just feeling better from a diet does not mean it's healthy for you. You'd want to check various chemistries or whatever health problem you have that you want to respond to the diet. So if you have calcification or arterial sclerosis in your coronary arteries or your carotid artery in your neck, then you'd want to have the appropriate uh, testing like uh, uh, fast CT imaging uh, of the chest and or sonogram of the carotid artery. Although, just as a side note, I do not like fast CT uh, images of the, the uh, coronary arteries because that exposes you to hundreds of x-ray equivalents. But I mentioned it simply because if you're going to do a test like that and you have calcification, you need to do the same test so you're comparing apples and apples uh, with dietary and lifestyle interventions that you're using to hopefully remove that calcification and reduce the hardening, so harder, hardening of your arteries. So you need to be comparing apples and apples to things. Again, as a side note, for those of you who have not listened to my uh, radiation uh, protection show, you'll find it towards the top of my blog at either integratednutritionny.com website or the Blood Detective website. The blogs are identical. You'll find it up there, ways in which you can protect and reduce the exposure of your body to various forms of radiation and how you can protect yourself and reduce the deleterious effects of radiation upon your body, what you can do before you're exposed, and it's not too late, but even after you're exposed. And I even talk about specific scientific references in that show, a concept that you just do not hear. So let's stick to the topic today, healthy diet dangers. And as the name implies, there are supposedly healthy diets, like many of those that I've mentioned, that have some problems with them. So I'm going to talk about those diets right now. I'm going to let you know what I think is good about them, what is bad about them, what labs you might want to think about to know they're good or bad, and some other useful and practical information. One other thing, though, I should say before I begin is that it's my personal belief that unless in there is a dire circumstance where a person must be extremely strict with their dietary intake, I believe and I practice that there should be always be so there should always be some leeway in how a person can follow a diet because no one is perfect. And then the stress and the neuroticism that can develop around being a perfectionist around a dietary intake might first of all be completely unnecessary. Maybe you just need to comply to certain guidelines of a of a specialty diet by let's say 80% or maybe it's 60% or 50%. And it might be combined with other aspects. In other words, my goal as uh, the blood detective is to figure out doable ways 
that people can manage their health in the form of diet, nutritional supplements, and lifestyle. If I come up with long laundry lists of nutrients and dietary suggestions that are simply too difficult, even for the most rigid personality types, if you can't do it, it's, it's useless. If, if I've done the blood detective longevity questionnaires, if we had to have a conversation, if I look at your labs and I know every biochemical thing that we need for you, but you can't do what I'm suggesting, it has no use, right? Right. So let's start with the first concept, the first diet today, and that would be the, the plant-based diet, what's called like the, the raw foods diet. Although the plant-based diet strictly does not have to consist of raw foods only. So in other words, a plant-based diet is a, is a diet that consists of plants, and those plants can be in cooked forms or raw forms. And then there's the raw food diet, which as the name implies is only raw foods, but it certainly does not have to be just plant-based. Here's what I mean. The consumption of plants in general as a fundamental concept makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Anyone who disagrees with that, uh, well, they've got, there's something wrong with their logic. Uh, we have developed on this planet. We have evolutionary adapted to the consumption of what is available on this planet, and that simply consists of plant-based uh, foods. Now, that doesn't mean and as most of you may know, or many of you, if you eat more raw plants in your diet, many of you have gas and intestinal problems. You do not seem to manage it very well. And that can be for a lot of reasons. Maybe you don't have the proper enzymes in, a, in your digestive tract to manage the breakdown of some of these plant foods. Or you have the wrong bacterial flora, which by the way, you'll need more than just a simple probiotic supplement to manage, or consumption of fermented foods may not do the trick for helping you to, to deal with a, a plant-based diet, which is a diet that is 100% uh, content is plants. Now, the problem with a plant-based diet, other than the obvious digestive difficulties that people may have with complying with it, is that many of the nutrients in a plant-based diet are not very well absorbed. So, I have found over the years that many people who followed plant-based diets, they have deficiencies or insufficiencies of a variety of nutrients, such as proteins, such as iron and B12. And that's just to name a few things. Though some of you are thinking, well, what do you mean? Uh, a plant-based diet has those nutrients in it. Even plants have proteins in them. Yes, but the extraction of the proteins is not as efficient than it would be from, let's say, uh, animal products. Now, I am not suggesting a person needs to eat animal products, by the way. I'm just letting you know it is far more difficult in a plant-based diet to manage your proteins. If you want to know you're managing your proteins, you look at your blood work. What is your total protein? That's one of the factors for figuring out if you've managed your protein. However, if you have a normal total protein on your blood work, but you have a health problem that requires more than normal protein, then having a normal protein level is not sufficient. And then plant-based diets, like some forms of vegetarianism, which we'll talk about in, in a moment, uh, will tend to cause iron anemia. And yes, you've read and learned that dark green leafy vegetables, plants, have iron. They do. But they have a form of iron that is not as nearly extractable by the body than the form of iron in, let's say, meat or chicken or turkey. The form of iron in plant-based products is called non-heme iron, and it's very, very slowly absorbed and inefficiently absorbed. If one were to take vitamin C supplementation or eat vitamin C containing foods 
with it, beyond just the, the, the vitamin C that's in a plant-based diet, uh, that would help the absorption somewhat. But if you have an anemia or, an atten- or, or a tendency for iron anemia, it won't be enough to fix it. Now, we can go on all day about the benefits and also the negatives of all of these diets, so I can't hit every, every point, but I'll mention one more regarding the plant-based diet. B12 insufficiency. Uh, B12 is extremely important for our nervous system and for energy production and for general repair because it's involved in something called methylation in the body. So we do not want to be insufficient in B12. So with some of these diets, you simply must take nutritional supplements. And the nutritional supplements you take should be based on your blood work and your health needs and the science and then hopefully the experience of the practitioner. So I bring 27 years to the table with a medical school education background, a chiropractic educational background, uh, a master's, PhD, and board certifications in nutrition. So when you, depending on your health problem, you want to seek out the appropriate level of health professional when considering these diets. Next, a vegetarian diet. So there's various types of vegetarian diets. There's the lacto-vegetarian, the fruititarian vegetarian, the lacto-ovo-vegetarian, the living food diet vegetarian. Boy, I can go on. The ovo-vegetarian, the pesco-vegetarian, the semi-vegetarian. So the majority of vegetarians are lacto-ovo in my experience. And in other words, they they do not eat animal-based foods except for eggs, uh, dairy, and honey. You might want to listen to my show, Deadly Diet, where I expose lots of the dangers of eggs and dairy products, even when they are organic and free-range. So I would direct you to those shows. But fundamentally, the vegetarian diet is probably uh, one of the better of the overall diets, but when we talk about overall diets and we're generalizing, we always are in the wrong place. I do not like to generalize when we have the technologies to figure out what someone's needs actually are. Now, having said that, I'm a vegan. I personally am a vegan. That works for me. It works for my chemistry. And I take the appropriate nutritional supplements based on my health uh, concerns, based on my health goals, based on my health history and other factors to manage uh, what I'm doing. And then from time to time, I recheck my chemistry to make sure everything's working well. So back to the vegetarian diet, which of course is somewhat related to the vegan diet. Studies over the last few years have shown that vegetarians have you know lower body weight. They do suffer from less disease. They typically have a a longer lifespan than people than people who eat meat. So I would absolutely agree with that, uh, generally speaking. But again, we're talking generally speaking. There are lots of people that eat crappy diets. They seem to live a long time, but they may live a long time with lots of disease and disability, which does seem to be the case. Again, in my twenty-seven years. I have seen people in every food plan that you can imagine, and I've seen problems in all of them. And the commonality, this is the blood detective common sense here, the commonality, the string that underlies all of the problems I see with all of the diets is that there has been a failure to further personalize the diet. So if you're going to start as a vegetarian or a vegan or do ketogenic or do food combining, whatever the diet is... Weight Watchers, etc. You can start with that possibly as a baseline, but it needs to be personalized for you as well. That's the only way you know if it works. For example, if you're doing, uh, you know, a Weight Watchers diet, let's say, or a South Beach diet, and you're losing weight, great. But these diets don't promote the measurement of one's lean body mass. In other words, you could be losing weight because you're losing organ mass. 
loss of organ mass is inversely related to increased morbidity and mortality, meaning as you lose organ mass, you're losing your organs. That's what manages your chemistry. That's who you are in terms of health. So you can lose weight but mess up so many other biochemical uh, parameters in your body. So let's move on to the raw food diet. So the raw food diet or raw foodism involves consuming foods and drinks that are not processed. They're completely uh, plant-based and ideally organic. Uh, raw foodists believe that at least three-quarters of a person's food intake should consist of uncooked food. And a significant number of raw foodists are also uh, vegans and do not eat or drink anything that's animal-based. So the concept of a raw food diet as the best diet for everyone is ridiculous. It's ridiculous because not everyone can extract the nutrients they need from raw foods. However, incorporating concepts of raw foods into your diet, like raw foods themselves or in the form of juicing, is, of course, an excellent idea. And how do you know what combinations of fruits to make? How do you know which uh, raw foods are the best for you? Let's say you have a cancer history. You might want to have more cauliflower and broccoli, which has the indole-3-carbinol in it, which is a very strong anti-cancer compound. But, by the way, the amount of indole-3-carbinol in cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower that you'll find in a raw food diet and a vegan diet and a vegetarian diet, the amounts are not nearly sufficient once a person has had cancer or is wanting to avoid cancer. Uh, you need to take nutritional supplements. Otherwise, you'd have to consume bowls of foods a day or multiple juices during the day, which a few of you can do, but most of you cannot do that. So that's where supplements come in. And then there's the, the Western diet. I probably should have started with the Western diet, what I call the SAD diet, the Standard American Diet, S-A-D. So the thing about that is the Western-style diet, which is high in sweets and fried foods, uh, and animal products and refined and processed carbs and all of that bad stuff we've all learned is bad raises a person's risk of dying early. It just does. And uh, there is a very good study on this in the American Journal of Medicine uh, that reviewed this. And uh, multiple studies have shown this too. The closer you eat to a standard American diet, the earlier you will likely die and the increase in the amount of comorbid health conditions you will have. So you'll have multiple health problems at one time. People who eat the standard American diet, the Western diet, they tend to, to conglomerate their conditions into cardiovascular disease, stroke, various cancers, uh, diabetes. These are the conditions that largely are promoted by the standard American diet. So I'm not merely saying, oh, believe me, the standard American diet is evil, don't eat it. The evidence is super strong that it is bad. And almost any variation away from that diet that consists of being mindful to a few fundamental health principles, like not having refined and carbo uh, processed carbohydrates as often or ever, not having uh, saturated fat and trans fats, eating organically when you can, uh, having eat, uh, consuming free-range forms of meat. But even free-range organic forms of meat have problems. Again, listen to my deadly diet show. Now, I should say, even though I am letting you, I am telling you that certain aspects of these diets might be healthy and that certain aspects of these diets I'm reviewing might be extremely unhealthy, 
These are relative terms. What is healthy for one person may be quite unhealthy for another and vice versa. So an example of that would be if I have a person who is a vegetarian and they're deficient in B12 and iron and protein, they're likely going to be tired. Their healing is going to be affected. I just met with a young woman a few days ago with chronic hand eczema, uh, with chronic iron anemia and and low vitamin D from her vegetarian uh, diet and, and low protein, and she wasn't healing and her hands were cracking and bleeding. It was just terrible. And she was so confused, like, well, how I thought the vegetarian diet was the healthiest diet. And as you can see now, there are problems with these generalizations. Why generalize? When you are your own personal blood detective and when you have access, when we all have access to the proper laboratory technologies and in the hands of the right practitioner to interpret them, we have a lot of the answers or we can get to the answers we need to manage our health. Let's continue. This is what, the, what some scientists are actually uh, saying about juice fasting. So this, I'm just quoting right now. So juice fasting, also known as juice cleansing, is a fad diet in which a person consumes only fruit and vegetable juices while otherwise abstaining from food consumption. The diet is promoted with implausible and unevidenced claims for its health benefits. So this scientist is saying that juice fasting is completely ridiculous with no study. Well, this is a lie. This is a lie. Now, I, do, I am not a juice fast diet person, meaning that's not the type of food plan that I follow. Although I do incorporate a good amount of fresh juices into my diet. But having said that, to make this generalization, first of all, it is not true that there is no science behind juice juices. So in other words, the health benefits of various plants and the the hundreds, if not tens of thousands, possibly even hundreds of thousands of phytonutrients and other nutritional compounds and nutraceuticals in plants that you then can highly concentrate in a juice along with natural enzymes and fibers and electrolytically rich water uh, and, and, for, and other reasons like the alkalinity of the juice in general, they have health benefits that, uh, potential health benefits that are very nicely scientifically studied in fact. So it cannot be said that there's no science behind the concept of, of, of a diet high in, in fruits and vegetables. Now, there are also studies showing that juicing diets can be very health-promoting, um, usually in the short term, but that doesn't mean they can't be helpful in the long term. I've used them for various lengths in different people. So you see, you might think I just contradicted myself because I said I use juice fasting in individuals and juice dieting, but I don't do it myself because for me, it is not appropriate. But aspects of juicing are appropriate, and I've incorporated those, just like Uh, On top of my vegan baseline, I do much more juicing than the average vegan might do. And I eliminate gluten, you see. So uh, the gluten-free diet aspects, the juicing diet aspect, and the vegan diet aspect put together for me. Also aspects of the ketogenic way of eating for me because of my diagnosis of multiple sclerosis when I was a teenager. Don't worry, folks. I'm 52 now. I have no health limitations whatsoever. I run like a fiend, marathons, lift weights no drugs, putting things together for your needs tends to provide a greater health potential. 
So it is not true, again, that there's no science behind uh, juicing, but juice dieting as a lifelong practice, there is no evidence for that. Next, food combining, the food combining diet. So this is very interesting. Many of you have probably heard of the food combining diet, although there are many variations and some, some minute details, but the basic, the basic principles of food combining uh, include the following. You're not supposed to combine meat and starches in the same meal. You want to combine vegetables with meat or starches, however. Eat fruit, except for lemons and limes, away from other food groups. And avoid dairy completely or eat it alone. In other words, by itself. Now, the fundamental principle behind food combining is pretty basic. Is that if you combine foods that... uh, require different pHs to break themselves down or have different levels of sugar in them is the main point, starches, that they can drastically interfere with the uh, digestion uh, of the other food. So again, we're saying if you combine meat and starches in the same meal, the, the starch will likely uh, ferment more violently in the intestinal tract due to the presence of the meat proteins causing the formation, by the way, I'm getting into a little bit of details here, of some potentially poisonous molecules, uh, which you find actually in cadavers as well, these putrefaction uh, materials. So the concept of separating certain foods I have found is useful for some individuals, not all individuals. And if one were to try to combine foods strictly based on food combining uh, principles, the basic ones that I've just mentioned, again, not combining meat and starches in the same meal, you do want to combine vegetables with meat or starches in the same meal, that's permissible. You can eat fruit, but have them away from other food groups, except for lemons and limes, and avoid dairy or eat it alone. If you follow these principles, you probably will have overall better digestive function. So some people find that it really does the trick with their digestive function. And that's their digestive function, meaning less gas, bloating, and abdominal discomfort. That's what this way of eating, the food combining uh, approach, tends to uh, be useful for. But it is not a disease-specific or health-specific uh, approach meaning it might help your digestive tract symptoms, but it may not help. It may not be appropriate if you have cancer, if you have heart disease, but aspects of it would be. You can follow the basic principles of the food combining diet, but you then might want to have specific types of proteins, specific fruits, specific types of starchy carbohydrates, along with the right nutritional supplements to adjust the food combining diet fundamental principles to meet your needs. So there is something to the food combining approach. There's something to all of these approaches, depending on your needs and your changing uh, needs over time. So let's talk about another very common diet, and that would be the Mediterranean diet. So the Mediterranean diet, as you know, is a Southern European, more specifically, uh, the diet focuses on the nutritional habits of people of Crete, Greece, Uh, in southern Italy. Now, nowadays, Spain, uh, southern France, Portugal are also included, even though Portugal does not touch the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the emphasis is on plant foods, uh, fresh uh, fruits uh, as dessert, uh, beans, nuts, whole grains, seeds, olive oil as the main sources of dietary fats. 
uh, cheese and yogurts are the main dairy foods. And the diet also includes moderate amounts of fish and poultry, up to about four eggs per week, uh, small amounts of uh, red meat, and low to moderate amounts of wine. And up to one-third of the Mediterranean diet consists of fat, with uh, saturated fats not exceeding about 8% of the calorie intake or the caloric intake. And the Mediterranean diet is the most extensively studied diet to date. I'm going to say that again. The Mediterranean diet is the most extensively studied diet to date with reliable research supporting its use. And it supports its use for improving a person's quality of life and lowering disease risk, particularly of cardiovascular disease. Now, if you have the genetics of those living in the Mediterranean, then I would say run and go and do this diet. But if you don't, you might want to rethink it. In other words, although it's the most studied diet, they're comparing the intake of the diet to people who've been eating this way for hundreds of years. So that may not apply to you. If you start eating this way, and I'm not saying don't, but you can't necessarily expect the same health benefits. Just like if you start drinking green tea, let's say like the Japanese, you would expect a lower breast cancer risk. Number one, you don't have the genetics of those people. The genetics is quite different if you're not uh, Japanese, not to mention they're consuming about four, you know, pots of green tea per day. So there's a lot of factors other than intake. There's the genetic lineage of the diet. So let's look at just some of the components of the Mediterranean diet. Let's see if we can make some general assumptions about what might be decent for you. So, you know, fruits and vegetables as part of this diet is dessert. That makes a good amount of sense unless you have allergies or, or some food intolerances to some of those fruits. Some people just cannot manage their beans and nuts. And in terms of whole grains being a part of the Mediterranean diet, if you are gluten intolerant or you want to eliminate gluten, that doesn't work either. If you have diverticulosis, you don't want to have the seeds. Olive oil? Olive oil is pretty uh, safe overall. I cannot really think of a specific or strong reason why olive oil should not be included in most people's diets. It's important for lowering cardiovascular disease. It has anti-inflammatory effects. So that's important. And then, of course, the Mediterranean diet has... Uh, yogurts and cheeses and, and uh, you know, natural yogurts, which are, you know, very, very high in probiotic organisms, we believe there's a great deal of science on this, are very healthy. So that makes sense. Cheese, well, 70% of the world's population might actually be lactose intolerant. So having cheese would not work. Um, and then cheese is, uh, you know, aged if it's really good cheese uh, from a, you know, a connoisseur cheese uh, perspective. And um, it is loaded with fungus, uh, which is yeast. So if you have yeast problems or leaky gut or autoimmune disease, that may or may not be appropriate for you. And like I said, it may or may not be. We have to look at your health problems to see if that makes sense for you. The diet includes moderate amounts of fish and poultry. If you don't want to eat meat uh, or poultry, then clearly that's not okay. And then fish is mostly contaminated with mercury. So that might be a problem for you. How do you know? You do a urine test of uh, the metal content of your urine, but you do a special urine test that tells you if the metals in your urine, first of all, everyone has heavy metals in the urine, everyone. So if you've had one of those 24-hour provocation urine tests and you were told there are metals and you're sick, the practitioner lied to you because you may not be. If you do a metals test where you measure protein-bound metals, 
and free metals, then you're getting somewhere. Think about it. Free metals are free to cause damage. That's how you remember it. Free metals are free to cause damage. Metals bound to protein are bound. They can't hurt you. But if you're just measuring metals in the urine and not distinguishing between free metals and bound metals, you're making mistakes. And most practitioners are doing this for some reason. Why? They don't understand the chemistry. That's the simple fact. Back to the Mediterranean diet. They also say to eat to about four eggs uh, per week. Well, you know, eating farm proteins can trigger autoimmune diseases. Are eggs very high in protein? Or are they one of the best protein sources? Yes. But just because they're one of the best protein sources doesn't mean it's right for you. So these are just some of the pros and cons of these diets, which should be emphasizing to you that your needs are your needs, and we'd want to figure that out. Now, if I have time towards the end of the show, I'm going, to, I'm going to go over the diets again and speak about some of the specific lab tests beyond just the few examples I've mentioned for each of the diet to help figure out if it's working for you. And then there's what's known as a pH balancing diet. So the pH balancing concept goes like this. So the foods that are, are emphasized as part of, let's say, an alkaline diet would be whole fruits and vegetables, uh, raw foods, green juices, beans, and nuts. They're considered more alkaline. And foods that are acidic are therefore limited because most people are doing a pH balancing diet because they've been taught that being alkaline or eating alkaline is the only way to go because acids associated with disease and inflammation, so you eat alkaline. Again, it makes sense on the surface. And as I opened up with today's show saying that just because something makes sense on paper doesn't mean it's true or is right for you. So I'll talk about that more in a moment. But the foods, once again, that are, would be limited on an alkaline diet have to do uh, with uh, high-sodium foods, processed grains, uh, meat, protein, added sugars, and conventional milk. Now, I'm combining two very closely related concepts here, alkaline dieting, and I called it a pH-balancing diet. Alkaline and acid are two terms that refer to the pH of the body. The pH refers to the acid or base balance of the body. If you think in your mind's eye from right to left, on the right, your right hand is acid, your left hand is alkaline. Right in the middle of your nose is neutral. The pH scale goes from 0 to 14 from right to left, 7 being neutral. Water is the neutral substance. There is some evidence to suggest that if your blood were more on the alkaline end of things, that could help prevent or delay the onset of certain cancers and even help reduce metastatic spread and tumor growth if your blood were slightly alkaline. I am not talking about the urine and I am not talking about the saliva. Those are completely unreliable. Those tests, you can change those by jumping up and down for, for 30 seconds. And if you don't believe me, Get pH strips and check your saliva and your urine. Jump up and down for 30 seconds and your pH is going to change. And there are practitioners that base entire food protocols on continual comparative measurements of urine and saliva. Ridiculous. There are important aspects of your health that are measured through saliva and particularly urine, but your blood pH is simply not one of them. If you want to know if your blood pH is changing in response to your diet, which is, by the way, extremely difficult to do alone, 
But if you want to know, you have to have your blood pH measured. Most doctors will not do blood pH. The test has to be read very quickly uh, after it's drawn. Otherwise, it goes bad. So this is a test that you get mostly in a hospital-based setting. But having said that, if you want to know that your food intake and your whole lifestyle is contributing to a pH that is towards the alkaline end, which means towards the left side of your hand, remember, because right is pH, left is alkaline, then you'd have to measure the blood pH. Now, I did an entire show on pH. I have a lot of passion about this topic because it's so misunderstood. The show is called pH lies, pH lies. Just like detox lies, it goes through all the nonsense regarding misconceptions and bad education out there about these concepts, but they're very important. So when I am concerned about really and truly moving a person's blood pH slightly to the alkaline end, I measure the blood pH. Now, I have to tell you this. The blood pH, I'm going to tell you its range. You're going to want to write it down. It's between 7.35 and 7.45. Let me say it again. 7.35 to 7.45. It's only 0.1 difference. You have to realize the pH of the blood is very tightly controlled. The body keeps it physiologically in a very, very tight range. And any change to the right or to the left can be met with devastating health problems. All sorts of problems in the body can result in pH changes, kidney uh, abnormalities, lung abnormalities, respiration, the kidneys, the lungs are the two major organs which control pH in the body. And then there's other buffering systems and regulation of pH as well, but too much to go into today. You'll want to listen to the pH balancing show. I talk about it there. So if you think that you're going to eat alkaline foods, this is the blood detective common sense point. If you think you're going to eat alkaline foods and turn your, your blood into alkaline, it's not going to happen. It will not happen. It cannot happen. Although I have seen over 27 years that if someone's blood pH is like 7.3, because if you're much lower than that, you're in a hospital. And if, and, or you could be in a hospital even with that number. And the top end of the range is 7.45. If you are 7.5, that could be a very good place because it's slightly more alkaline it's five times more alkaline, actually, than 7.45. So 7.45 compared to 7.5, the difference is 0.5. The pH scale is logarithmic, which basically means for every 0.1 difference in pH, it's 10 times different. So very important to manage pH correctly, to measure it from the right compartment of the body, meaning venous or arterial pH, when you have devastating health problems, we want to avoid them, and there is some rationale for looking at your pH for comparative purposes. So let's move on from the pH balancing or alkaline diet. And by the way, I should mention there are times when you want an acid diet. You, you, for example, we'll be talking about the ketogenic diet. That's an acid diet because the keto acids are major players in terms of energy supply to the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord, and also the peripheral nervous system, those nerves that come off of the brain and spinal cord, helps seizures, epilepsy, for example, and, and a whole bunch of other conditions, Alzheimer's, dementia, multiple sclerosis, anything neurologic at all could potentially benefit from an acid diet or a ketogenic diet 
except for example, if you have like diabetes or some other health problem that's associated with uh, high ketosis, which is causing detrimental effects. Let's talk briefly about the gluten-free diet. So I wrote a book called A Glutenaholic. All of that information is on my website. Just check the search bar on the homepage at integratednutritionny.com and search gluten and all my information will come up. I've done radio shows on the topic, at least two of them. And there's a video at the top of my webpage on the homepage too under videos. Basically, if you have a gluten problem, you might have celiac disease. That means lifelong elimination of gluten. That's the only way to cure the problem. Gastroenterologists and internists forget you can eliminate gluten, which is great. You might even repair the small intestinal lining in six to eight weeks. That's what happens. But the years of malabsorption and other health problems that have resulted need to be addressed. And some of them are very subtle and need to be tested for. This is something just, there's a complete failure of medicine, in my opinion, and experience to, to go further. That, but that's what the blood detective approach does. So look, we are talking about different diets. And you can see that as I just talk about each of these diets, you might find attractive aspects of them or maybe quite the opposite. You realize, wow, that's something I tried, but because of what Dr. Wall just said, I won't, I'm not going to do that one anymore. We need to figure out what you need for your needs in a way that is doable based on your chemistries, based on your responses, genetics, and other factors, which I've mentioned a couple of times during the show. Then you have a lifestyle plan. It goes from being a diet to a life-promoting lifestyle plan. So if you have a gluten issue, if it's celiac, you have to eliminate it. Most people do not have celiac. They have gluten intolerance, which I'm distinguishing from celiac disease, meaning you might be able to tolerate a certain amount of gluten and uh, you do not have the same autoimmune response as celiac disease, completely different. Gluten intolerance, non-celiac, is not. So when we talk about the gluten elimination, whether it's celiac disease or non-celiac gluten intolerance, which could be caused by problems with digestive enzymes and, and other aspects of physiology, which is different than celiac disease, which in celiac disease, your immune system, and that for people who suffer from that, does not like gluten. And it attacks the gluten, but because the structure of the small intestine or the thyroid or the skin or other organs look a lot like gluten, it cross-reacts. This autoimmune cross-reactivity happens. So we won't spend much, much time on, on gluten other than to say it may be very important to eliminate for a variety of reasons. And then there's the Atkins diet. I knew Dr. Atkins. Uh, we had many conversations over the years, and I'm sorry about his unfortunate uh, you know, passing uh, several years back. But he had the brilliant idea of a low-carb intake, high-protein concept so that insulin sensitivity would be improved because he believed that hyperglycemia was very detrimental for disease for a variety of reasons that have been proven out today, from inflammation, promotion, and all kinds of deleterious effects upon the body, and that's all true. Where he went wrong is that his high-protein uh, approach, which consisted of high intake of animal products, promoted cardiovascular disease, uh, promoted uh, renal disease and, and gallstones, and who knows what else. So the concept was right. It was applied a bit wrong. Would people lose weight from the Atkin diet? Diet, yes, they would because of the higher protein intake reserves lean body mass, but creates other problems. So, you know, people might die prematurely thinner. Um, Atkins himself uh, sadly had a heart attack, uh, fell down uh, during the winter, and, um, 
and uh, suffered a severe head trauma and, and never woke up. So uh, the Atkin diet is a concepts of it, eating low carbs and higher, uh, more natural proteins of non-animal sources is what I've adapted from this relative to, let's say, what your needs might be or what my patient's needs might be. And then there's this zone diet concept, which aims for a nutritional balance of 40% carbs and 30% fat and, and you know, 30% protein. But if, even if you could figure out every meal or eat the zone foods that supposedly pre-count all the carb, proteins, and fat percentages for you, remember, you're not what you eat, you're what you absorb. So you're not necessarily going to absorb, activate, or use that percentage. In fact, it's ridiculous. Once again, you'll find people that say this or that food plan or diet you know, made the difference. And I'm not saying it can't for some people. There are healthy aspects probably to all of these things. But when I look at the chemistry of a patient, uh, sometimes they feel very well on the surface from a dietary change, but it's caused uh, some abnormalities underneath the surface that might have actually increased their risk of dying of one of several different diseases. So let's talk about the ketogenic diet in the short amount of time we have left, and then we're going to hit the paleo diet as well. Basically, the ketogenic diet consists of healthy fats, such as, well, at least a new version of it. The old ketogenic diet, which was a diet promoted for seizures and epilepsy, had to do with people eating ice cream and, and, and steak and as much as they could. But those, that approach did increase ketones and did help seizures and epilepsy, except it was a very unhealthy diet for many other reasons. It was like the sad American diet on steroids. So my point here is that it's been adapted to be a bit more healthy in terms of the sources of the uh, ketones. So the diet is high in avocados and coconuts, Brazil nuts, uh, seeds, oily fish, olive oil. They're liberally added to the diet to emphasize fat because the diet causes the breakdown of fat deposits for fuel. And that creates these substances called ketones through a process called ketosis. And the diet has uh, risks though, particularly for people with type one diabetes and um, you know needs not to be used in that circumstance. But the ketogenic diet is a fundamental premise that I use uh, with aspects of other of the, the dietary things here based on what the health problem is. If it's neurologic, seizures, epilepsy, again, MS, uh, neuropathies, uh, spinal cord degeneration, uh, minimal brain dysfunction and, and, and brain trauma, then this would be a food plan concept that should be incorporated very carefully. Now, the paleo diet. So the paleo diet, or oh, the caveman diet or the stone age diet, that's a that is a, well, I would have to call it a fad. I really would requiring that, you know, the sole or predominant consumption of the foods presumed, you know, uh, to have been the only foods either available or consumed by humans during the Paleolithic era is what you should eat. So in other words, we should eat like our Paleolithic counterparts, but the digestive abilities of anatomically modern humans, that's you and me, are very different from those in the Paleolithic humans. And there are no Paleolithic humans like some group somewhere. We're talking about Paleolithic human beings all over the planet. And then they got together and they interbreeded and then they, some of them live near the coast and they ate mostly fish and others live much further inland and maybe it was more animals and others lived in more plant-based regions. So there's no Paleolithic diet. And I can tell you for sure they didn't have whey protein powder. So... It's a really ridiculous concept other than the fact that uh, if you're eating more naturally, that's what's good about it. And it does have aspects, of course, of that. But um, 
the whole concept about eating like Paleolithic humans uh, and the fact that we cannot uh, really undermines the diet's uh, core premise, in my opinion. So during the 2.6 million or so year-long Paleolithic area, the highly variable climate and the worldwide spread of human population meant that humans were, by necessity, nutritionally adaptable. Were adaptable. In contrast, supporters of the paleo diet mistakenly presuppose that human digestion has remained essentially unchanged over time. It is absolutely wrong. It is uh, a third-grade science thinking. It's just not right. It's wrong. So what do we do then as we want to move forward with figuring out a healthy diet? Well, that's why I've come up with a blood detective concept. Not a blood detective diet, but the blood detective concept means look at your health problems. Your various health problems may have, this is key, specific food needs and lifestyle needs and nutritional supplement needs, even exercise needs. So you look at your lifestyle, you look at your health problems, and you, then we put together a food plan based on all of those considerations. I always consider what the science uh, tells me, and I also use, to some extent, of course, my 27 years of experience with the use of different types of food plans or combinations of things. But fundamentally, Blood Detective is all about figuring out what your needs actually are and then basing your food intake on that. And then as your health changes, for better or for worse, you have to change the dietary approach to keep up, just like you would with exercise. You start a certain exercise plan. Let's say you lose some weight, and then it stops working. What do you do? You don't continue to exercise the same. You make an adjustment, right? Well, you do the very same thing with any plan that is based on your changing needs over time. Is it more difficult? Yes. Is it essential? Absolutely. You must personalize everything. Supplements, foods, exercise. And if you have a specific disease, there are certain things like, let's say you have hypertension, you might want to have low sodium foods. If you have cardiovascular disease, a diet with low saturated fat, of course those are fundamental. But we want to go beyond those general disease concepts for you. Get specific, look at the chemistry, and go beyond the regular blood work used by most doctors. Or better yet, I often look at the labs done by most doctors and they miss obvious nutritional problems. So, my final thought to you is you figure out what you need. That's the blood detective way. I want you to send me your show concepts. Please either call me with them at 914-552-1442. That number is 914-552-1442. If you want to schedule with me, you can also call me at that number too. We can talk about your health problems or post your questions and show topic ideas on info at I'm sorry, that's info at blooddetective.com is my email. So info at blooddetective.com. And then the website is blooddetective.com or integratednutritionny.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you got something out of this important uh, show today, which focused on foods, namely healthy diet dangers, pros and cons. See you next time.
Only the good die.